0: Hey guys, welcome back to Hometown Homicide. I'm your host Jolene. I'm sorry that this episode is so late. I've had a lot of shit going on this week and I really appreciate everyone who reached out to me on Twitter and said, you know, it's fine. I was really stressing and I'm just glad that everybody was happy to wait, I guess. But I'm not going to bore you with what happened. I've changed my audio a little bit now, so hopefully it sounds a bit better. If not, let me know and I'll try and work on it a bit. I'm kind of like just going with it and I don't, I'm not a professional, so I'm just kind of like trying my best. But yeah, so I'm going to read out a few reviews first, just because I promised you if you leave a review, I'll read it at the start of every episode. So the first review I have is from m 98 I'm pretty sure I know who this is, but I don't want to be like, I know you, just in case that it's a complete stranger and they're like, ew, freak. So... (laughs) Burrows M98 has said, loving it. After listening to the first two podcasts, I'm loving it and can't wait for more. So I'm really glad that you're enjoying it. And the other review that I got to read is from Hajid I'm not butchering someone's name they've literally just left a bunch of random letters um and they've said best Welsh podcast ever Jolene is amazing she is such a sweetheart and you can tell the cases really mean a lot to her I love the personal touch she adds to the episodes and feel like I know her so well already brilliant storyteller and I can't wait to hear more So I'm really glad that you guys are leaving reviews it just warms my heart <laughs> Um on to the episode this week which will not warm your heart Um this week we're going to be talking about the murders of a- year old Frieda Burnell and 11-year-old Flori Little. This is going to involve discussion of sexual assault and the murder of children, so if you're not comfortable with that, then that's fine. Um, I'll probably have something a bit lighter for you next week. Either wait till next week, listen to the previous episodes, but if you do want to stick around to listen, then I will jump right on into the episode for you. <laughs> Saturday the 5th of February 1921 started out like any other normal day in the Welsh mining town of Abba Monmouthshire. Eight-year-old Frieda Burnell was sent to Mortimer's corn store to fetch chicken feed for her father. Her father Fred had promised her a penny in return for running the errand. He last saw his daughter at around nine o'clock that morning as she left to go to the store. After an hour, Fred began to wonder where his daughter was. He began to search for her himself, and the first place he went to was obviously the last place she was supposed to go, which was the Mortimer's store, where he spoke to Harold Jones, who was the 15-year-old store clerk, and Harold said he had last seen Frida at around five past nine that morning, when he said that she had left the store to go back and check what Frida's father wanted. From what I could see from the kind of account that Harold had given, it was the case of Frida wasn't sure which type of feed her father wanted when she got there because there was either more feeds than she was expecting to choose from or there was one missing from what i could tell so she went back to check with her dad to make sure that she would be getting the right one after searching and searching for his daughter fred burnell called the police at 1 p.m to report freedom missing The police and the community came together to search for her, with the town crier appealing for information, and the police even went into the cinema to make an announcement about the missing girl, and I believe they put a picture of her up on the screen and gave her her description. The search was called off later that night, either due to the weather, as some sources say, or other sources say they just called it off for the night to go home, sleep, you know, rest, and then come back the next day, ready to look more. At 7.30 the next morning, Collier Edward Thomas was on his way to work. He was passing through the lane behind Duke Street when he noticed what he thought was a bundle of rags on the floor. When he got closer to check, he found that it was in fact a sack containing the body of 8-year-old Frieda Burnell. She was lying just 300 yards from her own home. She had been gagged with her elbows tied behind her back and her ankles bound together. She was strangled and had suffered from blunt force trauma to the head. She was also found to have been sexually assaulted. It was determined in the pathology report that Frida had slowly died over the course of around four hours, which would have been the time that her father was out desperately searching for her by himself. The whole town was wondering who had done this and why had they not found Frida before? Had she been hidden somewhere? Had she always been there and she had just been missed? Where was she when she was dying? How did no one hear her? How did nobody hear a scream? The police found that Harold Jones, the store clerk, was the last known person to see Frida, and he repeated to them the story that he had told her father. The Abitillaria Police Force wasn't equipped to deal with the heinous murder of a child, let alone any murder at all. The child murder was just something they had never had to deal with before. So they called in help from Scotland Yard, and they were sent Detective Chief Inspector Albert Holden and Detective Sergeant Albert Sodden. They had solved a murder the previous year in Abergavenny, so there was hope that they would be able to find out who had done this. Frida Bernal's funeral was held on the Thursday after the discovery of her body. Shops and roads were closed, there was a 100,000 people in attendance who had all come to pay their respects. And DCI Holden was also at the funeral, where he was approached by a person whose identity remains a mystery to this day, who tipped him off to a storage shed that belonged to Mortimer's store. After a search of the shed, the police uncovered an axe handle, which they believed to be the weapon that had caused the blunt force trauma to Frida's head. They also found a handkerchief, which Fred Burnell identified to be that of his daughter's. This led the police back to 15-year-old Harold Jones. He had previously given evidence at the inquest of Frida's murder as the last person to have seen her alive. He was also, as some reports say, the only person, and other say one of the few people, with access to the shed. On March the 7th, 1921, Harold Jones was arrested for the willful murder of Frida Burnell. The community of Abitaleri just couldn't believe that this normal person, one of their own, could have done such an awful thing. They were under the impression that this had to be an outsider. Things like this didn't happen in Abitaleri. People like this didn't exist in Abitaleri. Harold Jones was born on the 11th of January 1906, the eldest of four children. His father was a local miner named Philip Jones, and I couldn't find his mother's name, but she was a housewife, and they were a liked family. They did live in poverty, but this wasn't unusual for the time, and Harold actually was very well presented despite their financial difficulties. He always had his hair slicked back, he always had nice clothes on, and people just thought they were a normal family. At the trial of Harold Jones, Francis Gilbert Mortimer, who was 10 years old at the time, and the son of the owner of Mortimer's store, testified that at around 10.15am on the day that Frieda had gone missing, Harold Jones had made him wait outside the shed whilst Harold himself had gone in to fetch supplies, which the police found very suspicious because this is where they believed Frieda's body was at this time. Character references at Jones's trial portrayed him as a popular, well-liked boy with his headmaster saying he was a good student and many, many people from the community coming in to say that he was a lovely boy, he was a good friend, he was normal, quote unquote. <laughs> Herbert Henry Mortimer, the owner of Mortimer's store where Jones worked, testified that he heard Jones in the shop below working when Frieda was believed to have been killed. So this kind of gave Jones an alibi and the entire time Jones was always saying that he was at work. And even though Francis's statement does say that he went to the shed with Jones and he wasn't allowed in, this does still stand by the fact that Jones said he was in work because he was there and nobody had seen him leave, nobody had seen him with Frida, so there wasn't a lot of evidence to support that Jones was in fact the murderer. On the 23rd of June 1921, after 90 minutes of deliberation, the jury came back with a verdict of not guilty and Jones was set free. Abbott welcomed Harold Jones back with celebrations. A lot of people in the documentary I watched called it a hero's welcome, where he was carried in on people's shoulders as a brass band played, and he was even given a golden watch by someone. Among those who celebrated his return was George Little, and he was congratulating Harold on, you know, being found not guilty, because they all believed that he really, truly wasn't. But George and the town of Abbott were unaware of the true nature of the person that they were welcoming back into their community. Just 17 days after Harold Jones had been acquitted for the murder of Frieda Bernal, George Little's daughter, 11-year-old Florence, who was also known as Flory, was playing hopscotch with Harold's sister, Flossie. The children lived six houses apart on Darren Street, and they were out just on the street. I think they'd drawn a hopscotch on the floor with chalk, and they were playing there. And Harold had actually been watching them for quite a while, and then he came out and invited Florrie inside for a glass of lemonade. In the week since his release, Florrie was said to have teased Harold, saying she knew he was the real killer of Frida but no one can actually attest to whether she really believed this or if she was just taunting him. But she did follow him into the kitchen regardless, so one can only assume that she was either not afraid of him or she was just a little naive. Later that evening, Florrie's mother knocked on the back door of the Joneses' house looking for her daughter. Harold told Mrs. Little that Florrie had been there earlier that day, but she had since left and he hadn't seen her since. At the time, he was wiping his hands saying he had just gotten out of the bath. Police questioned him and were suspicious that he was once again the last person to see a missing girl alive. Harold suggested to the police that they use bloodhounds and that he would go out and assist in the searches. Previously, when Frida had gone missing, Harold had actually knocked on the door of the family during the searches and asked if they had found her yet. So, at the time, that didn't seem strange. He just seemed like a concerned boy. But now that he was assisting in the searches for Flory, the police kind of looked at this as a bit more of a red flag, that he wanted to be involved, and that he was trying to get close to the investigation. The police were watching Harold because they had their suspicions about him and when he left the house they knocked on the door and asked his father philip if they could search the house philip invited them in thinking you know my son isn't guilty he was found not guilty he hasn't done this either but upon a search of the house pc cox discovered florrie's body in the attic of the jones home she had a massive injury to her neck and her clothes were quote saturated in blood unquote with a rope looped under her arms although she was partially dressed there were no signs of sexual assault Philip Jones, Harold's father, went out to find his son and he is said to, in one of the documentaries, have had a conversation with Harold where he says to him they found the girl's body in the attic and they think it's either me or you and I know it wasn't me. So he then turned his son into the police himself. Florence Little's funeral was held on July the 13th 1921 and she received the same massive reception that Frida Bernal had just a few months earlier. But, despite this suspicious behaviour that Harold was displaying to the police, the town of Abertilary rallied behind Harold Jones once again, under the impression that the police were just trying to stitch him up for this, because they weren't able to get him for Frieda's murder, they thought they were just out to prove a point because he had embarrassed them by being found not guilty. And this led to 500 people protesting his innocence outside the police station in Abitaleri. This prompted Superintendent Henry Lewis to address the angry mob, saying, quote, I have found the body of the child in the attic of Harold Jones, foully murdered, and I have arrested Harold Jones. I think this is all I can tell you, and it would help us if you would disperse and go to your homes, unquote. Initially, Harold proclaimed his innocence as he had when he was arrested for Frida's murder, but one month later, with his sixteenth birthday Lumen, where he could be tried as an adult and sentenced to be hanged for his crimes, he confessed to both the murder of Frieda Burnell and Florence Little. On Monday the first of november nineteen twenty one, Harold Jones pleaded guilty in Monmouth court and was sentenced to life imprisonment due to his young age. Sources report that he had lured Frida into the shed under the guise of searching for a certain feed together. Once he had her inside, he had beaten and assaulted her and left Frida to die, returning in the night to put her body in the sack and dispose of it in the lane. As for Florrie, he had slit her throat before holding her over the kitchen sink to bleed out. He used the rope to drag her body to the attic and had cleaned up any blood left behind. It was noted that the police saw scuff marks on the attic door, which was how they knew to search up there, and there were patches on the wall and the floor where the house had been cleaned, and because the walls were quite grimy, these big clean patches were quite suspicious to the police. During his time in prison, Jones was a model prisoner, as he had been the model Valley's boy. But he wouldn't talk about his crimes with any medical professional, he didn't discuss it with a psychiatrist, and he just never addressed any of the issues and what led to him murdering these two girls at the age of 15. 20 years after his sentencing, Alexander Patterson, a prison commissioner, wrote a letter supporting Jones' release. He suggested that Jones could join the army, as the Second World War was currently ongoing and he thought Jones would benefit from being in the army. On December 7th, 1941, Harold Jones was released at the age of 35. But he was not called upon to join the army because he had a reputation of being a quote-unquote coward, as he had cried when he was spoken to harshly during his time in prison, and people just thought he wasn't fit to be in the army because of this. Upon his release, Jones stayed with an aunt in Berkshire, but he did visit Abba quite often, the first time being just three months after he was released, and people said they saw him visiting the graves of both Frida and Flory. It was said that he revelled in being noticed and he didn't try to hide away, he acted almost like a celebrity, like he was being adored on by fans almost, when people would notice him and point him out. Not much is known about his whereabouts until around 1947, when he was found to be living in Fulham, London, where he was married and had a daughter. Neil Milkins, an author who is himself from Aberdeleary, wrote the book Every Mother's Nightmare, Aberdeleary and Mourning, which is about the murders of Frida and Flory. And he also then went on to write Who Was Jack the Stripper? The Hammersmith Nudes Murders. And in these books, he speculated that Harold Jones himself was Jack the Stripper. The Hammersmith-Nudes murders took place between the years of 1959 and 1965, where eight women were murdered, had their clothes removed, and even sometimes had their teeth removed. This removal of their clothes earned the killer the nickname Jack the Stripper in the media, but to this day, those murders are still unsolved. Milkins points out that Jones was living under the name Harry Stevens, his mother's maiden name, in Fulham in 1959, two streets away from the first Jack the Stripper victim. Once this murder had taken place, immediately after, Jones changed his name to Harry Jones and then moved four miles away to Hammersmith, and he was living two streets away from the seventh and eighth victims of Jack the Stripper. It isn't specified in any of the sources whether he was living near where these victims were living or if he was living near where these victims were found. Harold Jones died of bone cancer in 1971, but his name still comes up in cold cases today. There's no DNA evidence, or any other evidence, apart from that presented by Neil Milkins to link Harold Jones to the Hammersmith-Nudes murders, but he has been linked to other murders as well. In 1946, the rape and murder of 11-year-old Sheila Martin was linked to Jones. She was strangled with her own hair and found in the woods in Dartford, Kent. Another 1946 rape and murder, that of 12-year-old Muriel Drinkwater in Swansea, was also linked to Jones. She was beaten around the head and shot twice, but in 2019, DNA evidence ruled Harold Jones out, and the case still remains unsolved. Jones was also linked to the 1959 abduction and murder of six-year-old Carol Ann Stevens in Cardiff. She was found suffocated and dumped in a river in Flanethy. Following the murders of Frida Bernal and Florey Little in Abitaleri, the Mortimer store quickly closed down and, by all accounts, they were run out of town. A lot of people put this down to Herbert Mortimer's testimony, where he essentially gave Jones an alibi. People believe that he knew he was lying when he gave the testimony because Jones at the time was in a relationship with the Mortimer's 13-year-old daughter. But they also point to this relationship as kind of indicating signs of Harold's early sexual sadism because they found a letter from the Mortimer's 13-year-old daughter to Harold discussing him wanting to spit in her mouth which is weird for a 15-year-old and also the kind of psychologists that have looked into this also believe that this is kind of early signs of him wanting to do more abnormal things sexually and there was other evidence as well but they didn't present that in the documentary In the documentary Murder Casebook, Season 1, Episode 5, The Welsh Child Killer, which will be linked below, Flory Little's niece, Susan Lloyd, tells of how the Little family were just never the same after the loss of Flory. Mrs Little even had a nervous breakdown. There was a lot of tension in the family, there was a lot of just depression and sadness, and eventually the family moved away to start a new life, far away from the horror that had happened to Flory. In 2018, £4,000 was raised to restore the graves of both Frida Bernal and Florence Little. Many residents still feel the aftermath of the horrific murders that took place in 1921. At the time, it shook the community that someone who was one of their own could be involved. And also, just the heinous nature of these crimes, the ages of both the victims and the perpetrator, has never been far from the minds of the residents of Abba even to this day. Thank you guys for listening to these stories of Frida Bernal and Florence Little. I think it's really important to show that, you know, it can be somebody you know. Nobody is above suspicion. And a lot of the time, I think, in communities like Abertilary and other places in Wales, being from a community like that myself, I don't think if something like this happened, our first assumption would be that it would be somebody here. I don't think even I would be able to believe that personally because I am from one of these communities. Obviously, now that I listen to True Crime and I'm reading all these stories... I am a bit more suspicious of everybody but I know that the general population just doesn't have that in the forefront of their minds that one of their own could do this. The documentary that I watched kind of discussed the fear of the other and that it could be down to just not being able to comprehend that it is someone close to you and you always have the fear of a stranger because you can't associate yourself with what has happened so therefore it has to be someone else because everybody in the community is like you so how could it be somebody in that community? If you've got any theories about other cases that Harold Jones could be connected to, you can tweet me at h underscore h pod. And you can check out the Instagram as well for photographs related to the case. There won't be anything explicit, so don't worry about that. You can find me on Instagram at hometownhomicidepod. If you want to email me any case suggestions, you can get in contact with me using my email. That's hometownhomicidepod at gmail.com. I've got them all written down now, guys. (laughs) I'm not going to mess them up anymore, I promise. And that's everything I've got for you today. Uh, If you do want to leave a review, I'd really appreciate that. It does help me gauge whether or not I'm doing a good job. And of course, I'll read it out at the start and give you a little shout out. So I hope that incentivizes you. (laughs) And next week, I will have a lighter case, something that won't be quite so hard to listen to. But I did think it was an important case to cover because Harold Jones is one of the earliest cases of a child killer in Britain, let alone Wales. So it is quite an intriguing case as much as it is tragic and sad. But with that, I will leave you guys to carry on about your... I hope you guys stay safe out there. Bye!